you're listening to Mind Your Uterus Podcast by Safe to Choose. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Mind Your Uterus Podcast brought to you by Safe to Choose. I'm your host, Marie, and today I'm going to be diving into the conversation around legislation and how it feeds into stigma and this in turn just inhibits women's ability to access safe abortion services. Here's a piece of information that I found interesting. In 2001, Stephen Levitt of the University of Chicago and John Donahue of Yale University argued, citing their research in earlier studies, that children who are unwanted or whose parents cannot support them are likelier to become criminals. This idea was further popularized by its, by its inclusion in the book Freakonomics, which Levitt co-wrote. Now, I'm sure what they've discussed in their research is something that obviously speaks to maybe very specific events or specific outcomes. But the fact of the matter is, is there's a lot that comes with carrying a child to term that you don't want, but also taking care of a child that you did not want to begin with. And what we don't often realize when we talk about restrictive legislation is the fact that those who are forced to have these children often suffer from many, many issues when it comes to their mental health. But it's also really tough for those who are born into a world that otherwise did not want them. We'll focus in specifically on South Africa today with our guest, Kanisa. She is a wonderful human being who works in the space of reproductive health in the context of South Africa. And I've had the pleasure of working with her for over a year at this point. And it's just been wonderful. And I'm happy to have her here today. And she's going to help us just deconstruct what legislation looks like when it comes to abortion in the context of South Africa and how we can move forward beyond this point. So welcome. Thank you so much, Kanisa, for joining us. If you could give the audience just an introduction about you, your work, what you do, and how you got here. So I am a woman who kind of understands where I stand in the world in terms of the politics. And so I've taken it upon myself to advance a feminism in ways that gives us bodily autonomy and so I am a sexual and reproductive health activist looking at um, access to abortion specifically in this conversation but also just in general looking at ways that how women can live better lives and um, have the sense that their choices are honored and respected and beyond this I'm also editor-in-chief and the Mm -hmm. founder of Eve's Abel the Mag which is also a sexual and reproductive health magazine that is lifestyle orientated Mm -hmm. and also speaks the language of popular culture to its audiences so that they can have the information in chunks that they are able to understand. Very, very cool. And we'll have all of Kanisa's information um, in the podcast episode if you want to see it, because she genuinely does such incredible work, especially with the magazine. I think that's my favorite piece of work that you do. So thank you so much for joining us and for bringing forward your perspective. So just to kick us off. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Just to kick us off. Fun statistic, or rather just a statistic that we know about um, abortion and the act of forcing people to conceive when they don't necessarily are are not prepared for it or don't necessarily want to do it. In 2001, Stephen Levitt of the University of Chicago and John Donahue of Yale University argued, citing their research and earlier studies, that children who are unwanted or whose parents cannot support them are likelier to become criminals. This idea was further popularized in the, in various inclusions in different books that they published. But I think essentially at its core, what it's trying to communicate to us is the fact that 
the lives of those who are born as a result of a decision that was forced upon people can often be very poor and just holistically not something that's great. So what do you think about this? As someone in the reproductive health space, what do you think about this specific statistic or information and how it fits into the grand scheme of abortion access and the stigma around accessing abortions? I think that being pro-life should mean, first of all, being pro the life of the human being who will be born and also being pro-life of the person who will be carrying that child to term. And so for me, Mm -hmm. I think it starts from that point where a mental health state of a person who is pregnant against her will will Mm -hmm. absolutely be affected. And so by the time you get to birthing a child, there's mm-hmm. no going back. And if you think about things like postpartum depression and like that longer state of just rejection of mm. um, this child or mm. is, is obviously a thing that we really need to, to, to look at. And I think sometimes um, when people think about pregnancy, they kind of romanticize the mm. process and also just the end result of it. And just the lifelong commitment, Marie, of, yeah, of having yeah. a child and how when you're under-resourced, it, it becomes even harder for you to be able to kind of figure out what it means to commit to this meaningfully. Mm-hmm. I mean, childbearing is at its best, even when you are resourced difficult, but how much more when you are struggling. And so the psyche of the woman who is birthing this human being and also how they're able to kind of give this love to this person obviously would be affected and longer term rejection. I mean, we struggle when we are coming from loved parents. Imagine if you're struggling and your parents has basically been rejecting you the entire time. And this mm-hmm. is also like, for me, I think we need to really think about this as a mental health issue for the person mm-hmm. who's been forced to birth a child and also for mm-hmm. the person who's been birthed and rejected. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm so glad you bring up the fact that it is a mental health issue because oftentimes we miss the concept of the psyche of yeah. being forced to do something. Like like what you said, it's already so it's a it's a big challenge and we won't like sugarcoat that to bring a child into this world mm. when you've decided that that's what you want. That's now true. imagine being forced to come up with resources for someone outside of yourself when you didn't want to do that you know and I think people often forget that the psyche of someone who is seeking an abortion is coming from a place of I cannot handle this and we should you know place precedence on that it's really important that we highlight the fact that people are not making this decision from a point of like I don't care I'm not thinking about it like it's very much often a thought out process and people deserve you know the right to access that but just before we kind of even dive into stigma and everything maybe we can touch upon the abortion laws in South Africa so we just know because I think in this episode what we're trying to also show is that um, you know sometimes stigma can override legislation but before we can dive into that maybe we can talk about the legislation in South Africa and what it looks like. So in South Africa, you can have an abortion up to 20 weeks of pregnancy. And Mm -hmm. um, there are different um, provisions that are made when it comes to abortion. And these are fairly well thought out provisions. Um, And I think for me, when we're discussing stigma, we'll go deeper into that level of thinking out. And so primarily when you're looking at um, up to 12 weeks of pregnancy, um, they 
you don't have to explain anything to anyone. You mm-hmm. go into the clinic, you you test for pregnancy. Um, if you choose to have an abortion, then they make an appointment for you, right? Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I will, I will, I think throughout the conversation, I will be punting this. Mm-hmm. Very important for us to test early for pregnancy because in South mm-hmm. Africa, it gives us more choice. Um, it gives okay. us a, a period of time to be able to think through the decision that we're making, right? So mm-hmm. when it comes to, um, the, the, the period up to 12 weeks, right? So you go in, you test for pregnancy, you find out that you're pregnant. Um, then they, then you're like, you know what? Actually, I would rather terminate. And so they, they make this appointment for you. You come back. When you come back, you get counseling. And, and this is now comprehensive abortion care. So this is for me the ideal as well because sometimes um, services can be tricky. So you go in for counseling. Once you've been counseled, counseling in, includes um, you thinking, help them think, helping you think through this decision, giving you the options that are available to you, not telling you what to do, giving you the options that are available okay. to you. Okay. And then, yeah. um, and then you have a choice between uh, a medical abortion, which is through pills, or um, a MDA, which is a, called surgical abortion, which is ma- manual vacuum aspiration, and um. Then the appointment is now set, right? So that when the appointment is set, is now another return date. If you are fortunate and everything is laid out, you may have the abortion on the same day. Um, and then with with um, with the um, medical abortion, obviously pills are administered. You are absolutely meant to be given pain management uh, mm-hmm. medication, mm-hmm. same as MVA. You are meant to be given pain management for the process itself mm-hmm, all right mm-hmm. um like i said before legislatively when you go to a clinic or a hospital for mm-hmm. um, an abortion up to 12 weeks it's a no questions asked right nobody's okay. supposed to mm-hmm. ask you why are you doing this what is mm-hmm. the reason or whatever that's it if you've made the decision no matter your age so that's another thing right the the, the legislation says a pregnant woman it doesn't say how old she needs to be. It doesn't say that she mm-hmm. needs to bring the person who got her pregnant. It doesn't say they need to bring a parent. All it mm-hmm. says is that a pregnant woman, you sign your indemnity form, legally you are allowed mm-hmm. to get an abortion of your own free will, right? Now, it gets a bit tricky beyond 12 weeks, right? Um, beyond 12 weeks, then it is, it's at the discretion of um of the healthcare provider right so here we're talking about uh, a doctor sees you the counseling process starts they will ask mm-hmm. you why you want to have um, an abortion yeah. and the questions here are about your socioeconomic standing they do physical tests to see that are you is your body capable to carry a pregnancy to term are there mm-hmm. um, other long-standing conditions that you've got that may mm-hmm. hinder a, a healthy pregnancy? And so mm-hmm. the doctor then says, okay, cool. Um, I believe that what you've explained to me warrants an abortion. Or they could say, well, actually, I don't think so, right? Okay. And okay. that's where things become tricky. Of course, in the activism space, we, we, don't understand, we don't see why a woman can't have an abortion at this time because sometimes it does take a while for people to realize that they're pregnant. But legislatively speaking, 
it adds, it's at the discretion of that doctor who will be providing the service. You're welcome to get a second and a third opinion. There are places like Marie Stopes where the kind of same kind of process is undertaken to make sure that the counseling is proper. Um, but generally places like Marie Stopes are um, much more feminine, feminist centered. And so they kind of understand the decision making mechanisms when a woman does choose to have an abortion. Um, beyond 20 weeks, there is a, abortion can be, um, can be, uh, given as a service, but here specifically it's about the health of the woman carrying the, the fetus. And it's also about the health of the fetus, whether or not the fetus is a viable fetus. And that's mm -hmm. not beyond 20 weeks. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for highlighting that. I always, with the work that I do in South Africa, that's one thing that I always want to bring up because I think in speaking with you, what I've come to realize is that the process is obviously in many ways implicitly made a bit difficult for you, mm -hmm. um, even within the confines of when it's legal to have an abortion upon request. Right. So it's really important that people test early, like you said, because, you know, you go to the clinic and they'll run you through these processes. And in theory many of them are good practices that are there to kind of make sure you're making the right decision and just to prepare you for the decision you're about to make but i found that a lot of the times um, practitioners might utilize this to kind of inhibit someone from making a certain decision and then you know you're in a deadlock and you kind of are now put in a, in a compromise um, position and then we think of covid that made situations even worse right because you have to go to a clinic you have to go for a follow-up so some of these things are utilized right to kind of stop people from accessing these services so i think my next question would be what do you think about practitioners kind of using the law and then interpreting it in the way that they, they want to because i mean you've spoken about like um abortions after 12 weeks right that's when there is a full there's a disclosure in the legislation that the practitioners can use their discretion to decide whether or not you are allowed to have this abortion right but before those um that 12 weeks right i feel like there are some implicit things that practitioners are doing to interpret the way in which the legislation should be put into practice so i'm interested to hear your perspective about that the ways in which like practitioners are kind of inhibiting people from having access to abortion and then how that's fed by stigma and how you know legislation sometimes doesn't hold water because of these specific things that people do like fueling stigma but also using their own discretion to decide who is worthy of having the service right so there is something called con conscientious objection right in 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 the uh, in, in the health space in general okay um mm -hmm. and the provisions really uh, are in the constitution in terms of um if my religion or my belief systems don't allow me to perform um, certain duties then i should be allowed to do so and primarily it is um it is it is something that um the healthcare workers or service providers use to not provide the service. And um, it's only, well, we've been fighting, fighting is a strong word, but we've been pushing for um, abortion guidelines that really do outline the dangers of conscientious objection and how because pregnancy is such a time conscious thing a woman cannot afford to wait and um something that i really want to bring up marie which is a concept that um 
hasn't necessarily been named, but um, I would like to name it referral in bad faith. Um, and, and it's that notion that if I can't, if I, I object to the service myself, I, um, I refer you to another uh, place, clinic or hospital, but I already know that um, that clinical hospital has got 10 beds and that already they've got a waiting list. And if, for example, I'm already at 11 weeks and you know that um, there might be a decline or I'm at um, 14 weeks and you know that if you refer me there, I'm going to be part of a long waiting list, which mm -hmm, then means mm -hmm. that I'm going to reach that 20 weeks and I'm not going to be able to get my service. You know that you're referring me in bad faith and it's stemming from the fact that you don't believe that I should be getting the service and so for me those are the big two things and also just mm -hmm. legislatively I think political will plays a big role when there was mm. um, a minister of health who believed in abortion access um, commodities were easily available right um, okay okay things okay. like pills and and um, uh, uh, tools that are needed for abortion were freely available sometimes now you find that you go to a public sector space and there are no commodities so there's no pills or they're the, the nurse who used to do the service has now moved to another section and there's no one performing it here. And another big thing here in South Africa as well is that, um, for example, if you stay in a particular area and you know the nurse in that particular area, you're like, you know what, this person's going to be telling my parents or my loved ones about my abortion. Mm -hmm. I want to go somewhere else. There's also that whole ring fencing around we only give service to people who live around here, which oh, wow. is okay. also an inhibitor because then it's like, what do I do now? Because I can't go here because I need this to be confidential. But if I go there, I'm going to be asked for a proof of residence and they will find out that I don't live there. So it's, it's, a, it's it really is a myriad of hurdles. Um, but in the same token for me, I think that um, that notion of testing early kind of gives you a little bit of wiggle room for you to be able to kind of navigate the complexities and get mm -hmm. the service within that 12 week period. Yeah, no, definitely. I think what you've really astutely described is the fact that legislation without people is not really anything that holds right. water. And it Absolutely. seems like, um, you know, it's the actions of people and what they do that can really transform what legislation looks like. So like you've mentioned the fact that, you know, when there's a minister of health who believes in this practice, um, beyond the legislation, the, the services and the ease of access of those services is different. And I think in turn, what you're kind of um, alluding to is the fact that like the conversation around um, these services plays a really big role right because if you know if the if the entire practice is that like it's okay for us to say we don't want to provide the service to people then the entire tone around people who go and seek the service is just like it's justified for me to refer them in bad faith or it's justified for me to say i don't i don't want to do this so i think it's really important this is why we talk about this i think this is why um we wanted to start this podcast is just to have these conversations because often people look at legislation and they believe that you know that's the be all and end all and i understand that i think they both work they kind of feed into each other but at the end of it all i think south africa really gives us a good example of the ways in which it cannot just stop at legislative change it has to go into conversation it has to go into more people knowing about um why people need the service how it's important and why we must all kind of ensure that people have access to the service but i guess then to shift gears given that you know this is the context i think what would be great for people listening is to go through 
you know, some of these important things that will help in you accessing the service. So in terms of abortion clinics in South Africa, what should women look for in this context? And I think not only in South Africa, but I think in a lot of places in Southern Africa, this might be a similar thing. So what should they look like? What should they be wary of if they go to a certain place that purports to be an abortion clinic, so on and so forth? So firstly, um, according to legislation, an abortion can be given by a midwife, a midwife, a trade registered registered nurse and okay. a doctor, right? Okay. So in the first 12 weeks, these are the three people. So a nurse, a midwife, and a doctor can on, in the first 12 weeks. Once you go beyond 12 weeks, then according to legislation, it's only a doctor that's able to administer the service. I see. And I see. now... Now, we, we can have another conversation or another podcast <laughs> about um, telemedicine because we're moving into that space because we understand mm. that women are able to birth people without assistance. And so they mm. should be able to do this without assistance, mm. with guidance, of course, mm-hmm. but they're mm-hmm. able to do this by themselves. But according to legislation, as it stands, after 12 weeks is a doctor, a trained nurse or a midwife. Beyond 12 weeks is a doctor, of course, assisted by trained nurses and midwives. That's the first thing. Secondly, um, when it comes to the, a service provider, um, you, you, there's two places you can go to, right? So the first place is a public clinic. Public clinics um, are generally in, in, in either in each township or in each in, in in each kind of kind of village, there's there's known public service facilities. So in the in the public service facilities, you are likely to find a registered nurse. Now, a registered nurse is able to administer medication for a medical abortion. So, best case scenario, if tested early, you go to your clinic in your vicinity. It's clearly marked. No questions okay. asked. That registered okay. nurse is able to give you that service, right? Okay. And mm-hmm. even whether it's a it's a surgical or a medical abortion, she's able to administer it up to twelve okay. weeks. Easy peasy, okay. lemon squeezy. Mm-hmm. Then beyond beyond twelve weeks, you are likely mm-hmm. to get referred to a hospital because okay. if it's not a full service clinic, there may not be a doctor there. So public service, okay. public service still very clearly marked, very clearly known. It becomes mm-hmm. tricky when it comes to private service, right? I Where see. now mm-hmm. you need to figure out, um, is this like a real doctor or is it one of those um, posters that are all over the streets here, which is kind of scary. So here you want to go to a reputable place because the, the trick about it is that unless you're someone who has internet, internet access, freely available to you. The tricky part here is to find out whether or not this person is registered. So here's a mm-hmm. tip. Here's a pro tip because I got pro tips for you. <laughs> yes, give tip. them to us, please. <laughs> and the pro tip is you can go to the H- H- HPCSA website, okay? HPCSA website where you are able to check either the registration number of the healthcare professional or their mm-hmm. practice number, right? I see, okay. Generally, when you go to a doctor's room, you will see a practice number, right? I so see. it will say, okay, Dr. Okay. Kanyisa Boy, practice number Smangmang. Then you go onto the HPCSA website and you write in my name and you write that practice number and it will tell you whether or not I'm registered, Right. So I that's, see, okay. that's if you are uncertain about whether or not mm. I'm legit. 
Then, mm. outside of that, there are places like Murray Stopes, um, UK, um, just very well-known places where you do pay for the service and you get a reputable service. Um, so, this just helps you with these kinds of vulnerabilities where you go to someone who you are not certain whether or not they're actually giving you the correct dose. Do they understand how far along you are? And all sorts of wonderful things. And another thing, in fact... Now that I'm thinking about it, is that if you call someone on a number to, that says, oh, you can get an abortion from yeah, you, yeah, and yeah. they don't ask you how far along you are, and they just give mm. you a dose of pills, and they don't check what's mm. going on with you, you already know that like this is a bit shifty, and you're not safe in that person's hands. And so that's kind of a bit of a telltale when it comes to people mm. who are not necessarily providers. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No. Definitely. <laughs> very helpful. Um, that registration hack is very, very important. Yeah. I I hope we can all have that at some point because yeah. I think that would be really beneficial and it's also a way in which someone can let you know, hey, I can provide you the service without having to explicitly say, hey, I'm providing the service because providers, I think, also face stigma when providing these services and that can be an issue. Um, but you've mentioned um, two types of abortions. Yes. So I'll ask first about um, medical abortion, um, because some people can have medical abortion at home. Sometimes you can you, you can only have the medical abortion in clinic. So I'm interested to know in the context of South Africa, if I say I want to have a medical abortion and I'm at the, before the gestational age of 12 weeks, will I have that abortion in the clinic or am I going to go home and be able to have my abortion at home? So in South Africa, you can have a medical uh, abortion up to 10 weeks. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. So you go, go, you would have had the, the counseling session. Everything would have been explained to you. You get the first dose of pills. Um, at the clinic and then you administer the rest at home they give you a guide of what this would look like and what for mm. you what and what to expect as okay. well as your pain management pills okay okay yeah okay cool and then so for manual vacuum aspiration could we dive into that what does that look like in the context of south africa how how far along can you be when you use it um is it effective is it safe because i think mm. a lot of people here you know um surgical abortion and then they think whoa this is yeah. a bit scary yeah. <laughs> so, so that can be an issue yeah so just to quickly backtrack with the with the medical abortion um once you've done the second dose you are expected to build to bleed up to two weeks and it kind of fades um but you're still expected to go back to the clinic because they need to just make sure that the abortion is complete and that you are in good health Right, so okay. that's with the okay. medical abortion. When it comes to the surgical abortion, with it, which is the manual mm. vacuum aspiration, you make an appointment, right? Mm -hmm. um, appointment has now been made. You come in for counselling, and on the day they they give you the steps of what to expect, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. hi Kanisa, I am Doctor Smang Mang. I'm going to be doing this session with you. I'm going to be providing the service mm -hmm. for you. And um, they will ask you if you'd like, some places ask you if you'd like pain, pain management and some okay. simply simply tell you what pain, pain management mechanisms they're going to be using. Because to be perfectly mm -hmm. frank, when it comes to uh, surgical abortion, you should really just be given the... Um, the the pain management uh yeah yeah because it it can be grossly uncomfortable mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um and there can be a bit of pain and so pain management really just should be at the top 
of yeah, anyone yeah, who's assisting you so mm-hmm. that the process will be explained to you to say, okay, cool. Then there'll be the pain management and um, you would then be asked to bring pads, of course, when they're giving you the, mm-hmm. um, the, 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 the initial counseling just to give you the information. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you can expect is that you will probably be spending an hour at the clinic so if you're taking time off work or you need to be somewhere, you can kind of give that process an hour um, because of the fact that they need to service you with pain management. And then secondary to that, you will be taken into a room. The doctor won't be alone. They will have someone who's, who's supporting them. Also, okay. to, sometimes it just helps for someone to hold your hand and kind of talk mm, you through mm-hmm. the process and you can squeeze a hand, you know, um, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. of the discomfort. And you, then they, they use the aspirator, right? There'll be some, they'll use the aspirator. Aspirator looks like a small vacuum and it's got Mm -hmm. at the end, if you can imagine, um, a syringe, right? A syringe that they use, uh, with, for an injection, but like bigger, right? Mm -hmm. At the Mm -hmm. end of Mm -hmm. it is like a straw sized little tube. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. what does the aspiration. So mm-hmm. that then would be inserted through your vagina to, um, to, to the mouth of your uterus to aspirate, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the, that's the the part that gets uncomfortable with pain management. Mm. It's uncomfortable. It can be slightly painful if there is no pain management. Mm-hmm. And um, they aspirate everything. Uh, and uh, post that you are then taken into a recovery room for you to kind of settle okay. and your body to kind of recover a little bit. Mm-hmm. What is what is good to know about MVA is that, or, or surgical abortion, abortion is that um, it's instant. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you don't bleed for the time, for like two weeks as you would with a medical mm-hmm. abortion. And so you can literally do a walk-in, have the surgical recover a little bit in the waiting room i would advise that you also get pain management and if they offer it there do take it because there can be slight discomfort even after the fact um and then also just look out for any symptoms that you don't understand if you are still bleeding then that means you need to go back to the medical practitioner or health care provider um if there's any like things that you're uncomfortable with that you're questioning it's really important for your self-care to make sure that you ask those questions and you know buy yourself some chips and chocolates yes and if you've got an (laughs) afternoon off just like sleep it off um yeah because it it can be a bit hard on the body but for me for someone who just really wants something that they can go in and out for the mva for me is the thing and you can get an mva up to to 12 weeks of pregnancy there's no limits Mm -hmm. as to where it starts it's up to 12 weeks of pregnancy yeah okay yeah definitely i think that's important to highlight what it is because it's a methodology that not a lot of people know about yeah but like you're saying it's one of those that can work really well for you especially if you just want to be certain Mm. that it's complete but also i think something that came up um in the work we were doing last year especially in the context of south africa but i think southern africa more generally is that medical abortion is fantastic in that you can go home and you can complete the abortion there but a lot of us were forced to kind of move back home to um familial homes or homes in which people yeah you know didn't really support 
um, our choice, right? And now right. you kind of have to go through this process of bleeding and sometimes these questions and yeah. sometimes you're living in close proximity with people so you don't have privacy. So yeah. I think MVA is, is beneficial in that, um, you know, you can go, it's private. And like you said, you know, if you, you go in the morning, your recovery time by the end of the day is pretty solid. Like right. you're, you're pretty okay. So right. I think it's a way in which um, people can access... Um, safe and you know confined abortions yeah, yeah. given Completely that a lot discreet. of us you know yeah. exactly discreet because we come from such community-based um societies i think sure. especially down here in southern africa so sometimes you know um access to a safe abortion also denotes that you have access to privacy which is not something that you know you always do Right. do have so i mean you've mentioned um some of the resources that people can use but for like accessing information about abortions and everything but maybe you can touch upon um the services that are available in south africa outside of okay i need to go and actually have this procedure done where can i find out information where can i learn about the places in which it's being offered where can i kind of like get rid of some of the fears I have because I think a lot of the times you know we prolong the gestational age in which we actually go and seek out an abortion because there's so much misinformation out there we'll just convince ourselves that it's going to be a horrible experience and then we're so scared we procrastinate it to a very large extent and then you know it's week eight now and so it's better if we have access to information so where can you get all these um, resources in the context of South Africa so um Look, the magazine definitely is a spot. Mm, um, we've mm-hmm. we've punted MVA specifically because I really think yes. I'm a believer. Okay, I'm not saying yes. it. I'm just saying <laughs> for the discretion and just for your peace mm. of mind, I'm a believer. Mm-hmm. But yeah. beyond that, there are resources like Peggy Sisa. Peggy Sisa is a health mm. journalism um, platform. There okay. is also Murray Stopes. Murray Stopes has really done a great job at just breaking down. Everything mm-hmm. from like contraceptives right down to abortion and access. And also I suppose mm-hmm. for them, it's really critical for their patients to go into the clinics, kind of understanding what to expect. Um, mm-hmm. And also, I mean, our government is slowly but surely um, yes. coming to the party. And I understand why they're not necessarily explicit. I mean, there's politics of funding, so I'm mm-hmm. not going to go into mm-hmm. that. Um, you can look at, for a platform online called Be Wise. Um, mm, B-Wise mm-hmm. um, does give a lot of information and also you can find clinics near you. Um, mm-hmm. It gives you like, if you are in, you punch in your address or your vicinity and they tell you where the public clinics are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, those are the three really uh, easily accessible and also really reliable platforms where you can mm-hmm. get information and, yeah. um, and, and things that you can actually count on. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, very helpful, I think, not only for South Africa, but Southern Africa, because I think one thing that we um, don't talk about a lot is the fact that um, South Africa is really the hub for (laughs) accessing safe abortions for many people in Southern Africa. A lot of people commute there. So this episode may speak directly to the South African context, but I think it provides information for all of us here living in Southern Africa. I think I'll also just, you know, obviously plug in shamelessly, plug in (laughs) safe to choose, (laughs) in that we do have, you know... We do have um, a referral database. We do have counselors who are able to kind of support you. And I think why I really like the work that the counselors do is that it goes beyond just um, giving you a place where you can go and access these services. Sometimes mm. you just need to talk to someone, right? So you just need I to. I really think mm-hmm. like safe to choose counselors are everything. I don't. 
I cannot tell you how many times I've kind of tested the platform for myself because I'm just like, yeah. I mean, is it consistency? What is this? <laughs> it really is yeah. amazing. And I'm now, look, I'm, there's nothing to sell. <laughs> there's really yeah. nothing to sell. There's nothing. Just, we're just, just we're here. being yeah. able to ask the question and just input the information that you so badly need. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes people mm-hmm. think that people make the abortion choice quite easily as something that you mm. really, really think about, um, mm-hmm. think thoroughly through and you need as much information as possible. And as well yeah. as just the comfort of knowing that the person who I'm talking to is not mm-hmm. judging me is so critical. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah. yeah. Like it's important, I think to just have someone to talk to at the end of the day. And I think, you know, it's, it's a way we can support each other and I think mm. beyond just even the work that we do at Safety Choose sometimes it's like giving someone just a listening ear because like you said no one wants to purport the idea that like making the decision to have an abortion is something that's easy comes mm. easy breezy beautiful um, it's something that you think about and sometimes you just need to, to talk to someone to bounce some things off of them before you make that decision you sure. know um, but maybe um, a good way to kind of almost conclude this would be ways in which us right as citizens beyond offering uh, a listening ear can work towards increasing access to reproductive health rights and just championing them because really reproductive health rights are human rights in many ways Mm. Um, and we need to kind of I think beyond you know the services and what to expect in everything I think it's important that we also know how we ourselves in our day-to-day lives or in our activism in any way can kind of change the way the conversation around abortion is framed so I don't know right. if you have some pointers for the listeners I think um uh, like I think when we think about abortion it really needs to sink in as a health procedure first of all mm-hmm. it's a medical mm-hmm. procedure um, I often make the, the example of a tooth extraction, which mm-hmm. I've been told is not the best. But when I think about how when you have a toothache and you realize that I can no longer keep this tooth anymore, mm-hmm. you go to the dentist for an extraction. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there's no questions around why you would take that tooth out because people understand that you could no longer keep that tooth because it... It just wasn't working out and there's yeah. so much pain around it. And yeah. I think when yeah. we think about medical procedures such as abortion, we need to think about them in these very terms. And also, mm-hmm. if you claim to be someone who cares about life, then the fundamentally, you should be caring about the life of the woman who mm. is now forced to carry a pregnancy that they mm-hmm. are not they are saying they would not be able to sustain. Mm-hmm, and I think mm-hmm. reading ourselves of the the notion that women use abortion as contraceptives um, mm. really just is so problematic. And we really need to understand the complexity of the decision-making that our, a woman arrives at the point where mm. they're like, you know what, I need to terminate. Whatever their reason, mm-hmm. but they're like, yeah. look, I'm not sustaining this pregnancy it's not right not right now for whatever mm-hmm. their reasons and, and really just honor that just yeah, honor yeah. that i think that that that's critical you know looking at women as people who are able to make choices for themselves mm-hmm. and 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 affirming that and showing mm-hmm. them that there's value in the choices mm-hmm. that they're able to make Definitely, definitely. I really like the fact that you've mentioned, you know, that we believe women. I think that's the summary of it all is just um, implicit in a lot of these, um, the stigma, these legislative practices is this idea that women or those with uteruses cannot make a decision that is Mm. sound, Mm. a decision that is fruitful to their life, so on Mm. and so forth. And 
what's so damaging about that is then you let people go out into the world and think, you know, I can't take care of myself beyond, right. you know, this decision to have an abortion. Absolutely. If we are telling people with uteruses or women, you know, that your decisions are being questioned by legislation or stigma because we don't believe that you can make decisions that are sound, mm-hmm. that is such a damaging way to tell people to live their lives because, you know, there's so many ways you can be taken advantage of because in implicitly, inherently, you believe in yourself. Okay, I can't make decisions for myself. So Which I is think completely what, ironic yeah. if you can say that that person cannot make that decision, but you would trust that person to, them then to, to carry, to term and have a child. Like, <laughs> exactly. what do you even mean? Exactly. The juxtaposition. The right. juxtaposition of it. Right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. That makes all the sense. But I think, yeah, from my end, those were kind of the things I want to touch upon. I right. think you've brought up some really salient points that would be very beneficial. And this always has a close place to my heart because I yeah. do live in Zimbabwe and, you yeah. know, we are very much linked in so many ways. Absolutely. So I'm hoping that this this episode can really just shed lights on kind of how people can access the services, which is first and foremost the most important because we have to start kind of rethinking oral traditions and how we can exchange information in different ways yeah. to get people that access. Um, right. But also I think just in general how we can maybe look towards a world in which um, we don't look at this practice as something that is so out of the ordinary. Like you right. said, when you have a bad tooth or a tooth that's bothering you, you go in and no one asks you questions. Right. And hopefully, you know, the more we talk about this, the more people will begin to understand that it can be thought of in that same process and that same thought process. Right. And it's important. So I don't know if you have any parting words, Kanisa, for us all before we round it off. Yes, the the few things I'd like to say is that mm. with rights, with any action comes a lot of responsibilities. Please make sure that um, we, when we go into the clinics, we declare if we've got any standing medical conditions. Mm. We declare mm-hmm. if we're taking any particular medication. Mm-hmm. If you can get yourself someone to support you through the process, whichever one you choose, yes. please do that. Um, and just like show a little bit of self-care and be kind Mm -hmm. to yourself should you need to make that decision and should you be supporting Mm -hmm. someone who is going through the abortion Mm -hmm. process also exercise a lot of kindness it's just all love you guys it's all love definitely definitely be kind i think i've i've had a few um recordings and every time i think that concept comes up right of being kind yeah so thank you for reminding us once again kanisa thank you so much for joining us today i'm sure everyone has is gonna love listening to you you're just such a wonderful person to talk to but yes from us at safe to choose thank you all for listening to today's episode SafeToChoose.org supports women who need options on safe abortion from wherever they are. We offer multilingual online counselling and provide information on all our platforms to demystify safe abortion. And we connect women who want an abortion with pills or a surgical abortion with the right information and when needed refer them to trusted, trained and pro-choice healthcare providers. We work with medical doctors and experts in the field of public health to give women the best support and care to enable them to make the best decision for themselves. Do you know what it takes to have great sex? It's simple. Contraceptives. Visit findmymethod.org to learn how you can protect yourself during sex. Because safe sex is the best sex. 
how to use as an online resource that aims to equip you with the information needed to safely navigate medical abortions. Here are four reasons why I think you should visit our website today. You can translate the site into 27 languages. You can travel across 49 country profiles to better understand their abortion laws and process. We offer free certified online courses on medical abortions. And you can chat with Ali, the abortion support chatbot who's available 24-7 to answer all your questions.